Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Today, uh, I have a message for you. So if you open your Bible to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, you can open up your Bible. If you have an app, you can also look it up on your iPad or on your iPhone. And for those of you who just came extremely unprepared, um, we're going <laughs> to have it on the screen. Um, so let's just read and then uh, we'll, we'll pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, uh, starting with verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put on, we will be found, we will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in, in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared for us or prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. We are not, again, commanding ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance, not in the heart. For we are beside ourselves. Rather, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to, him, uh, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, the God was in Christ. Um, rather, the God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not continu- uh, counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made us, uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, 
so we might become the righteousness of God in me. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for your presence in this place. I pray right now, God, that you would open up our hearts to receive your word, Lord God. And Father, I pray that you change and transform us, Father. Father, I pray for 2019 as we leave things behind and we encounter 2020, God, that, Father, we would live this new year as a year that is, uh, Father God, filled with moments and, and, and uh, service unto you, Lord. Lord, we thank you, God, for every single thing that you've done in 2019, God, and we look forward to the things you've yet to do. But Father, most importantly, I pray that this year would be a year that we would spend every single moment of our lives contemplating and, Father, walking with you. Lord, we thank you and we exalt you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and everyone said, amen. Well, that was a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I think it's important to understand the word of God in context. Now, I understand that maybe your translation was a bit different. Uh, I was reading from NASB, but I wanted to go through this, and I think a lot of times when we come to the end of, all, of, of a year, like 2019, we can look at all the things that we've done wrong and regret some of the things that you know, we've done and maybe regret some of the things that we didn't take a risk to do. I think a lot of times we, it's, it's a time of um, kind of like looking at the past and looking towards the future. And some of us, we come a- across, uh, you know, the things that we have to change and, and uh, we make resolutions. Y'all do that. And then they don't last very long. You know, you make resolution to, uh, resolutions to lose weight and, and, and to read your Bible more and, and then, you know, and fast and all that. And it just so happens in your mind looked perfect, but when it came to practice, didn't really materialize. Can I tell you that God is the God of a second chances? Amen? You know, I think one of the reasons that we get so caught up in in making mistakes is that we don't really check what motivates us. Let me explain. A lot of times we realize that we are motivated by our passions and a lot of times we're motivated by our fears. Uh, I was about 18 years old when I got a job at a dealership and I remember we were going through a deal that was very, very difficult and I was talking to the finance guy and this guy was smoking outside and I was just talking to him and and I told him, I'm like, so how are you going to handle this? Because the client is not very happy. And, and, and he looked at me, and ha- as he was smoking, he looked at me and says, Slavik, you know, there's only two things in life that can go really, really wrong. And there's two things in life that you should fear. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you want me to tell you what they are? I'm like, please do tell me. He says, the worst thing that could happen is you could die. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> and the, wor- the next thing that could be just as worse, where even sometimes even worse is one of your loved one dies, right? We, we get a lot of times motivated by our fears. And when he said that, I'm like, well, that does make sense. Like, I don't want to die. At that time I was thinking this, I'm like, I don't want to die. And I don't want anybody that I really love to die. Now, on the other hand, we're also motivated by our passions. I remember when I was, uh, I had a younger youth ministry and you see these teenagers that would play video games, you know, for two days straight and they would come to church. And, you know, I, like lovingly, you really want to say things like, you know, body odor is a thing. Like, do you know that you could use deodorant for that? You know, it's a thing, <laughs> right? Like, and they would just, they would just not take showers. And I'm like, yo, like you need to take a shower. 
And then they would meet someone that they really were interested, some girl in our youth ministry they were really interested in. And the next day they would come in with their, ho- their, their, their hair all combed over and all dressed up. And I'm like, oh, wow, you clean up nice. And I realized pretty quickly that, you know, things changed because they had a new passion. They got bitten by the love bug, right? They, and they were dressing up and wearing cologne and taking showers and all of that. I think a lot of times people are hopeless is because they don't have a purpose to live for. But our purposes and, and the things that we live for are so wrapped up in the things that we get motivated by. Normally our passions and our fears. And, and I want to take some time right now and just kind of talk about some of the greatest fear that everyone kind of deals with, and that is the fear to die. Isn't that great? For 2020, you know, message, the last year's message. You know, the, the only thing that you should fear in 2020 is, is death, but not really. You see, if you're, a, if you're a believer in Christ, death is no longer the same. You see, for those who have put their hope in Christ Jesus, can, can I just tell you what death is? It's not like what you thought about. I think a lot of times we think of death as a, you, you hear in legends and uh, a lot of times in, in songs, and they make it sound like right now we are in the, in the land of the living, but when you die, you go to the land of the dead. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that right now you're living in the land of people who are dying, and when we die, we actually go to the land of the living, the truly living. So what happens when you die? That's a good question we should ask. Have you thought about that? I think most people have. And it's sort of clouded, right? Like it's, it's in your mind. And the reason I'm, I'm asking you to, to think about this morning is because I know that a lot of decisions that you make is you're motivated by fear. You're motivated by, the, what if this happens? What if I get into a car a- accident? What if, I, what if someone that I love dies? You, you, and I want to just tackle that because when Jesus came, he, he asked us and he told us not to make decisions based on fear. He told us to make our decisions based on faith, to trust him. And he made it very clear what happens when you die. So what do you do? What happens a second after you die? What happens a minute after you die? You see, death is nothing but a temporary separation between your soul and your body. Now, the Bible makes it clear that we have a body, right? You know, that's how you sort of take in the world. You have your five senses, the touch, smell, hear, see, and what is the other one? Taste. There you go. I knew it before I forgot it. <laughs> Right? So you experience, you experience this world based on those senses that you have. And your physical body is um, giving you a way to express yourself and also take in the world around you. And, and when death happens, there's a separation between your, your physical body and your soul. And it's so unnatural. And it's so dreaded. And it's so feared because we don't... People don't really know what happens after that. Well, Jesus told us what happens after that. And what ha- happens after that is, is this 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It gives us an insight. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, For we know that this earthly tent, which is our house, where when is, uh, w- for we know that when this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we 
have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So obviously, Apostle Paul is not talking about a tent like an actual tent. He's using this as a euphemism for your body is a temporary tent for your soul. Now you've, you've, you've went camping before, so you know what a tent is. I hope most of you, I think most of you don't live in a tent right now. Right? Tents are temporary. Buildings are, to a certain extent, permanent. We build buildings to last for tens and sometimes hundreds and thousands of years, right? But tents are temporary, right? So Apostle Paul says when you die, you're separated from this, this sort of tent that you have right now. Okay, well, this tent goes into the ground. We all know what, what happens with this tent. It sort of disintegrates. But where does the soul go? What happens what happens right after you separated with your body? Well, a lot of Christians believe that you go into this place of slumber. You just sort of sleep for a while until the resurrection. I don't think that's the case the, Bi- the Bible makes. Look at this. He goes on to say, For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we have put, o- put it on, not to be found naked, so it's, it's a really interesting way that Apostle Paul describes it here. He says, we long for getting this new you know, building that it's going to hold our soul. We don't want our soul to, in a sense, be naked. Are you with me so far? We don't want a soul. So, so you're not a ghost. You're not a disembodied spirit that sort of floats around. No, when you die, you separate yourself from the body that you have here and the next thing that we see here, he goes on to say, for indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, and he, 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 but to be clothed. In, uh, so what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. It's interesting kind of reference they make here the apostle paul makes here and that is he says that he gave us the spirit as a pledge now you guys know what happens when you become a christian you were born again you used to be spiritually dead but now you're indwelt by the holy spirit and the bible in a different passage says that he's given us as a seal upon our life to know that we are his and he also makes this reference right here and says god gave us the holy spirit as a pledge So when you die, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit who is tasked to delivering you into the presence of God. So what happens a minute after you die? If you are a believer in Christ, you are in the presence of God. Can I repeat that? What happens after you die? Isn't that crazy to think about? If you just walked out of this place, or if I walked out of this place and got hit by a bus, the next minute, I am in God's presence. Now, how are you in God's presence? What kind of body do you have there? Well, we know we don't get our resurrection bodies until we actually resurrect. So how do you, well, Slavic, it's really hard to make sense of, okay, this idea of what is it like to be in heaven when you don't have a body, when you don't have, you know, your five senses? How do you talk? How do you sing if you have no vocal cords? 
how do you eat when you have no mouth? Right? <laughs> how do you see if you have no eyes? Well, angels don't have eyes. Physical eyes is what I'm talking about. But they see. They don't have vocal cords, but they sing. We, we see when Jesus was born, he says there was a crowd of angels that were singing. So it turns out a minute after you die, when you're in God's presence, you are in a different sort of housing, spiritual housing for your, for your soul. That's what, what, we, what, we hear, what we see Apostle Paul saying here, right? Like we, we are getting this heavenly sort of, you know, housing, you could say, for, for your soul. For those who are in Christ Jesus, when you die, you're in God's presence right away. The reason I don't think you go to sleep, because we also see it, you know, when the Apostle Paul says, I would rather go and be with Christ, but for your sake, I'd rather stay here. Do you think the Apostle Paul would say that if he would know that he would just sleep for eternity? Right? We see that Stephen, when he was stoned, he says, God, in your hands, I deliver my spirit. I give you my soul and my spirit, right? And we, we know that the Holy Spirit attaches your soul and is tasked with bringing you into his presence. Now, I know it's a lot to kind of take in this morning, especially when you're thinking about how do I close my ear and we're thinking about, oh, death and all this. But I think it's important to understand that if you've lost someone in 2019 and they, if they were a Christ follower and they've put their, 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 their hope in Christ, they're in a better place. They can truly say, we can truly say that in a better place. I remember when my dad died, people come up to me at work and say, well, he's a truly in a better place. And I'm like, you're an atheist. <laughs> you don't believe that. I know he's in a better place. As a Christian, I know that he's in God's presence. Right? So, so, so this idea that death is the end, it's not the end. We are delivered in his presence. Also, if you fear that you will get into a car crash or something will happen to you or if you got diagnosed with something this year and you don't really know do understand that for us after death there's something even better we get to step into his presence we get to spend this time with jesus we get to be like the angels we get to be i don't know exactly what that spiritual you know house is of your soul but there's good indication that's going to be really good verse six he goes on to say therefore being always good courage so that's why he encouraged us uh, you know take courage knowing this knowing that even though in this body in this tent you grow and you're dealing with disease you're dealing with all these things do understand that when you pass away rather when you die take courage being always of good courage and knowing that while we were at home, in the body we are absent from the Lord. He says, you know, do understand that right now you think it's good, but you're absent from the Lord. When you die, you're going to be in his presence, which is even better. That's why we can see Apostle Paul in a different passage talks about, and he says this, that, you know, for me, uh, Philippians 1.21 says, for me, to, uh, for, to, me um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why he, he's able to say that because there's a hope that we have that those who don't believe in Christ don't have. He goes on to verse seven. He says, for we walk by faith 
and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. He says, look, be encouraged. Honestly, it's better to be in God's presence than to be in this body. Imagine no more pain, no more, you know, evil. Now, I understand a lot of people have this idea of heaven is that you're going to be on clouds playing the harp for a thousand years. That's not what heaven is. Heaven is where God is. Okay, the creator of all these things, I always say the creator of the sunsets that you so much enjoy will be there. The creator of the galaxies is there. The creator who created the depth of the seas and all the animals and all the fish and all of that. You enjoy snowboarding? There's mountains. You, you, you love the, the, the rivers and you just want that cottage by, by the river and by the lake? Listen, there's rivers and water in heaven. Can I tell you that heaven is a good place to be? He's the, he's the creator of all things. Like I always say this, that, that I, never, I was never really good at music. I look forward to studying music for maybe 150,000 years. I, I look forward to seeing new colors and enjoying you know, new food and all of those things. He's the creator of every single pleasure that you enjoy here. He's the creator of all that. So it's a good thing. So he says, we walk by faith, not by sight. He, he kind of, again, brings this idea that, listen, in this, in this life, we are so limited by what we see through our eyes. That's what we have to see with our faith. We are walking by our faith and not by our sight because our sight is so limited. Our physical body is so limited. I cannot see past that wall. I know, crazy, but I can't see past that. Right? But in heaven, you have a different way of seeing, a different way of tasting, a different way of touching, a different way of hearing. What was the other one? I said taste. Guys, come on. <laughs> like, smell. There you go. <laughs> a different way of ta- uh, smelling. Right? Like, that is heaven. Right? He goes on to say, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather that be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Therefore, we also have this ambition or as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So what's the greatest purpose? What's the greatest passion we should have is to be pleasing to him, either here or there, right? Either at home or absent. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. Now, things here kind of get a little bit dicey. Turns out all of us in heaven, we will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Doesn't that kind of sound a bit like, well, I hope all the good things come up. Right, let me read that again. Therefore, we also have this, our ambition, whether at home uh, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know what this means? This is not talking about your sins. Can I repeat that? This is not talking about 
When he says bad, he doesn't say, he doesn't talk about your sins here. The judgment seat of Christ is where you get a reward. You see, you are saved by putting your trust in Christ. And because of that, at the judgment seat of Christ, you're no longer judged for your sins. If Jesus judges you for your sins at his judgment, what that means is that what he's done on the cross was not enough. This judgment seat of Christ is not like the judgment where all people will be judged. No, the key word here is recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, good or bad. Meaning good things, did you, did you do ministry because you truly love the Lord? Were the bad things, you did ministry because even though you were saved, even though you put your trust in Christ, you have some bad ways of, bad motivations, bad ways of doing ministry, bad ways of, of kind of like serving the Lord that a lot of times also happens that your will got involved, your emotions got involved, and your motivations were tainted. At the judgment seat of Christ, this is where you will, give, will be given a reward. At the judgment seat of Christ, you won't be judged for your sins. So you don't have to worry about this. If you put your, if you don't, if you put your Christ, uh, if you put your trust in Christ, you don't have to worry about your sins. What you have to worry about is how obedient you were to his word. How well did you walk with him? Do you want to spend eternity thinking about all the things you could have done for Christ here in the body? Here is going to be like what Jesus in that parable says, I gave you the talents, the resources. What have you done with what I've given you? Right? So he says this, that no matter what we do, right? Verse nine, therefore we also have our, as our ambition, whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him. That is what needs to motivate us. For we know that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so to each one may be recompensed or kind of rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11, Therefore, we know, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God. And I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. We are not again commanding ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. The key word there, in appearance and not in heart. People that try to do this as just an appearance. What Apostle Paul is saying here is, look, we're doing this because we're sincere. We're persuading men with with the gospel and the love of Christ because we truly care about their souls. But there's some people that are preaching the gospel, but they're doing it for appearances, not out of a sincere heart. And on the judgment seat of Christ, they will have to answer why they weren't obedient fully to Christ. They will not get the reward that was due to them. Right? He goes on to uh, verse 13. He says this, for if we are beside ourselves, 
it, the word here beside ourselves, meaning that if we are crazy, it is for God. So if we sound crazy to you, it's because we see it differently. We see it with God's perspective, right? If we are of sound mind, if we sound logical to you, then that means we're trying to reach you. It is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, the one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Apostle Paul is saying, what Apostle Paul is saying here is, is this idea that, look, if you've put your trust in Christ, then your life should follow that you do everything to please him. That everything that you choose, everything that you walk, uh, every single step that you, you take in your walk is to pursue him. This is the hope that I have, is that in 2020, you don't go there thinking about your fears and passions that are not after Christ. My hope in 2020 is that you are making decisions based on knowing that you have a future that is secured. And if something were to happen to you or to your loved ones, you step into his presence, which is way better than anything we experience here. So don't make decisions based out of fear. Make decisions based out of faith. Make decisions based out of your relationship with Christ. Not only that, you should be making that because now, because Christ has died for all of us, for all who have put our, 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 our you know, hope in Christ, because he's died for all of us, now we, we get to live for him. And everything that we do, and every single choice that we make, that we trust him. Verse 16, 16, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in, the way, in that way no longer. Apostle Paul says that now, because we encounter Christ, because he gave us a new perspective on life, because we get to see things with his perspective, we no longer look at people by our flesh, through our flesh. What does that mean? What that means is that we don't look at people the way others look at people. We don't look at people uh, uh, based on what can they offer us. We don't look at people based on our selfish desires, where, you know, based on our fleshly kind of like motivations. We look at people with the eyes of Christ. And he makes this point here, says, even though with Jesus, look at this, therefore from now we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. He says, even though when we met Jesus, we thought he was just a good teacher. When we met Jesus, when we met him, we just thought he was just a guy that has an anointing on him. But now we know that Jesus is not a, just a man. Jesus is Christ. He's the Messiah. So even, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this, no way, uh, in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What an amazing passage. She says this, that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Did you know that if you put your hope in Christ, you're no longer the same? I remember the story of uh, uh, St. Augustine. He was a womanizer. He was sleeping around like crazy. And when he gave his life to Christ, one of the prostitutes that he would sleep with came up to him and said, Augustine, Augustine, it is I. And he looked at her and says, yes, but it is no longer I. Right? His whole perspective changed. He says, I'm no longer the old man who you think I am. I am no longer the guy who went around sleeping around. I'm different. Now, I understand maybe for you, hasn't been the same. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord and you're still struggling to make decisions to follow Him. Can I tell you that that is part of the process? There's a passage in, in the New Testament where it says that some people are complaining about how difficult this road is. And the Apostle Paul says, even though you struggle, you struggle as sons and daughters of, of God. There's a reward at the end. There's an inheritance. This morning, I want to tell you that if you're in Christ, you no longer have to walk in the, the old way. You used to drink and you used to, to do all these things. And now God is giving you a new passion to live for. You are ma- motivated by different things. I remember this one guy was saying that at, at work, he was, he was talking to his coworkers. And one of the, his coworkers said, you know, I don't really believe that the whole idea of Jesus turning water into wine that sounds very far-fetched to me like jesus turning like a, a clear liquid into something that has you know enzymes and proteins and all that and the guy just that was a christian looked at him and says i don't know man but i do know that in my life jesus turned beer into furniture because he would spend all the money on beer and now he's using the same money to buy furniture <laughs> you know so so you he used to be an alcoholic and now he's actually like kind of you know, changing his life, and now he's buying furniture, he's buying things that needed for the house. You see, Christianity and your walk with the Lord is not just good for your soul. It's also going to change your outside. It's going to change the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you, you know, relate to your co-workers. You are no longer who you used to be. Now, I know that it's going to be difficult at the beginning, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit, I, it amazes me. Uh, when I was about 18 years old, I was going to my graduation. I decided to steal from a store, and I got caught at my graduation. And it turns out that that store was actually my former employee, uh, employer, rather, and I was employee for, uh, an employee for them. And it was so embarrassing going to my graduation. Um, they kind of released me about, uh, after two hours, but... But going to my graduation, my parents were so proud of me. I'm like, oh, if you only knew what I just did right before this. Right? And I remember I would walk into a store and steal things. And, and now it's like if I take a pen from my job, I have to turn around and return the pen because I feel convicted. Right? The Holy Spirit, the more you walk with the Lord, He'll start to bring conviction, uh, convic- conviction in your life that you, you didn't even think it was a big deal. It used to be that you could just fight with someone and just kind of let it go and move on with your life. But now you have to go and be reconciled. 
Now you have to go and make it better. You can't just go and you know, cheat on your time, uh, uh, cheat your, your employer on your time, or on your paycheck, one war. Just you, you can't do that anymore because the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting you, constantly changing you. That is also what's known as the process of sanctification. He's making you more and more like him every single day. So this is where verse 17 says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature, uh, creature rather, or a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this morning, here's my message to you, that if you are motivated by your fear, understand that Christ wants you to be motivated by your faith. Know that he's a good God. And, and we all gonna die. The worst thing could happen in this present life, you might think is death. I think what's worse than that is to die not knowing Christ. So I hope that you take this message that you should not be motivated by your fear. What should you be motivated by? Your faith. Your faith will, will fuel your passions. It will fuel your purpose. So how does that manifest on your day to day? You see, Christ Jesus came when you were a sinner and he died for you. And the whole purpose of that whole thing was for you to be reconciled to God. For you to have a relationship with God again. And once you start walking with him, your new purpose in life is for you to bring people to be reconciled with God. What's your ministry? No matter if you're in worship, if you are preaching, if you are the usher, if you are the greeter in this ministry, if you're just a worker at your job, what your ministry is is to bring people to be reconciled with God. He gave us, verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, verse 19, the God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. There's two things that are happening here. One thing is, again, he kind of emphasizes this idea that Christ no longer holds your trespasses, your sins against you. Remember how we talked about the judgment seat of Christ won't be about your trespasses. You'll be about the rewards that you will get, about how obedient you were. So God started by reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And God no longer holds your trespass against you. And once you encounter Christ, he now gives you the same passion to go and preach the gospel and to reconcile others to himself. He gave you the ministry of, the recon of reconciliation. Verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, 
on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is not beautiful. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. So what's our number one goal in 2020? What are we called to do is to be ambassadors for Christ. You can't be an ambassador for Christ when you haven't met him yourself. You can't represent our, our president if you've never lived here. You cannot be an ambassador to a different country when you don't know anything about America or our president. You can't, you can't represent the kingdom of heaven on earth when you haven't internalized it in yourself. When you haven't met the king yourself. Now, a lot of people feel like that we should, our job is to go change culture and, and sort of change the whole thing, but that's not the, uh, that's not the job of an ambassador. What ambassador goes to a country trying to change it? Usually that doesn't happen. When an ambassador goes to a country, they're not there to change that country. They're there to represent the interest of the country they represent. And I think we kind of got this a little bit backwards. We feel like we have to war against the world. We feel like everyone has to think like us and everyone has to sort of like, we, we have all these political fights and we have all these picketing, all that. Can I tell you this morning that your job is to represent Christ well? Your job, you know, now I'm a naturalized American, but before this I was a, I was a Moldovian. But my true citizenship is heaven. I'm here to represent the interests of heaven. Now, I love the United States. Don't get me wrong. This country has afforded me some privileges that I never would have had in a village that I lived in. I'm thankful. But I'm here to represent his kingdom. I'm an ambassador for Christ. So dial down your rhetoric. Dial down all your political fights on Facebook and, and Twitter. And instead, represent Christ well. Tell about his hope, the hope that we have in him. Preach the gospel. Preach the word. Stop fighting about if you have your gun rights or not. I don't want to, again, like I don't get into political, I really don't care about any of that. What I want to say is be passionate about his kingdom. Represent him. That is our goal. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you. Can you imagine Apostle Paul saying this? We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might, be, uh, might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the hope here. That we encounter him and as we understand that god no longer holds the trespasses that we've done against us we are out to tell others about the hope that we have in christ 
We are out to represent His interests, represent this kingdom of heaven in us. And no matter what happens, if, if death or someone, a loved one passes, uh, passes away in 2020, our job is to point to the hope that we have in Him. That is the, that is the goal. Now I know that it's so easy to get tangled up in everyday things that you have to do and, and it's so easy to lose our grasp on, on what we're supposed to do. But I want to read a couple of verses here and I want to tell you that life is so, is so fragile. No wonder he describes a, your body as a tent. That is fragile. James 4.13 says this, Come now, who say, Today or, uh, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just like a vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. Psalm 9, uh, 90, 12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. It's so easy to get distracted. And Can I tell you that 2019... In two days or three days, I think, some, something like that, we will never be in 2019 again. You'll never get to relive 2019 again. And your life is nothing but a vapor. It's something that just sort of is here for a second and then you are faced with eternity. I want to I wanna just start thinking about that for the next few days as, as you close this year. Are you looking with a perspective that is eternal? Or are you looking just, how do I get, how do I take care of my kids? And now all those things could be very important for that moment. What I want to tell you is don't neglect the bigger things. Don't neglect that you have an eternity to face. Love this pa- uh, I love this, this story. C.S. Lewis was writing to one of his friends, an American lady, and... Um, it was interesting because she was, she was having a really hard time to face death. And she was in the hospital. They gave her, you know, maybe a few weeks to live. And she had a really kind of hard time. So C.S. Lewis r- writes to her and says this, Has this world been so kind to you that you should li- leave it with regret? There are far better things ahead than any that you leave behind. C.S. Lewis is asking this lady and saying, has this world been so kind to you that you're so regretful about dying? There are far th- better things coming ahead than you are leaving behind. Now, the ironic thing in this whole thing is that she actually went on to live for 12 years and C.S. Lewis died within six months. But at least he had the right perspective. <laughs> Would you agree? There are far better things ahead than that we leave behind. So as I'm coming to a close, I want to encourage you. If you have not given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I, I always try to make that part of the message because I think that's the most important thing. The worst thing to happen is you die without knowing Him, without actually walking with Him. So I'm asking you to close your eyes, all of you guys who are in here. Would you close your eyes and then I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you'd like to give your life to Him, would you raise your hand? 
Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.